everybody welcome to real ripe and real rotten it's a podcast where we're taking a look at the highs and lows of your favorite hollywood artists each month we're going to be using rotten tomatoes to determine the best and worst film in one individual's filmography you can listen along let us know your thoughts and all that jazz we've been talking about steven spielberg we talked about hook last week or two weeks ago uh, which was at 29 percent. we're up to et which i believe is 98 percent a very highly rated highly regarded movie my name is west t still i'm here with clay mccormick clay how are you? Let's talk about ET. I'm good. You've been you've been um, champing at the bit, I guess, is the expression to talk about ET. And you, well, I well, I was just gonna say, uh, um, much like Hook last week, the musical connection this week is that apparently the Neil Diamond song "Turn On Your Heartlight" is based on this movie. He did not write it for the movie. He just saw the movie, really enjoyed the movie, and decided to write a song. <laughs> <laughs> this um. This has been the highest rated, the 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 real ripe version of the uh, of a person. This has been the one that I've gotten the most negative feedback on Twitter and Patreon about. Um, I am probably going to be in that camp myself. I, well, okay. I all right. I'm just going to lay out my thoughts on this movie very quickly. Sure. Can I can I give? Uh, let's give a little bit of, f- yeah. of feedback to get into that. So. This came out in uh, E.T. was directed by Steven Spielberg. Came out in 1982. Uh, directed by Spielberg, written by Melissa Matheson. Uh, special effects by a whole bunch of people. It features or it stars Henry Thomas, D. Wallace, Peter Coyote, Robert McNaughton, Drew Barrymore, and Pat Welsh. It tells the story of Elliot, a lonely boy who befriends an extraterrestrial dubbed E.T. who is stranded on Earth. Elliot and his siblings have to help E.T. return to his home planet while attempting to keep him hidden from their mother and the government. Um, came out in 82 was a huge blockbuster. It surpassed Star Wars to become the highest grossing film of all time. It held that record for 11 years until what movie broke it? Do you know, Clay? Uh, 11 years? Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, yeah. Uh, it's the highest grossing film of the 1980s. In 1994, it was selected for pre- uh, preservation in the United States National Film Registry as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Um, it was nominated for a bunch of uh, awards. It was nominated for nine Oscars including Best Picture. Do you know what uh, movie beat E.T. for Best Picture that year? In 1982? Yep. Uh, no. It was... Uh, it was no. <laughs> it was Gandhi, uh, directed oh, by Richard yeah. Attenborough. So, I was going to say, like, uh, The Color of Money or something. Richard, Richard Attenborough <laughs> declared, I was certain that not only would E.T. win, but that it should win. It was inventive, powerful, and wonderful. I make more mundane movies. Uh, if you guys have listened <laughs> to our Second Sight podcast, we wrapped that one up by talking about the um, the Academy Awards Best Picture and like how we each, each of us determined whether or not uh, something would be a Best Picture. I can say no matter what, like, I, I guess that would sum up my taste on the Best Picture. No matter what you think about E.T., E.T. is a, a better Best Picture winner than Gandhi. <laughs> like I, 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 I think I think Gandhi is more in line with what they usually do. Sure. Than E. T. is. I I would say, if you're if you're looking at, if you're looking at stuff outside of the movie itself, then yeah, E. T. makes more sense. But if you're just looking at the two movies side by side, a hundred percent they would go with Gandhi over E. T. Yeah. No, no yep. question. Yep. Um. So yeah, you, what you can uh, you can kick us off with your sort of general breakdown of what you think about E. T. and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, I. 
have never really cared for this movie. Even I saw I've seen it once before this as a kid, and as a kid I didn't like it. And I feel like if I wasn't gonna like it then, I was never gonna like it. So I was a little bit hesitant going into watching again. And more or less the what I came away with is that this is a very well made movie. There's a lot of really good stuff in it. I just don't like it. Yep. It's not it's not for me. It's like there's uh, there's a lot of great stuff in it. Like uh, I, I love the way that Spielberg handles the the bad guys and stuff. How they he doesn't show them for a long time, and the the NASA guys kind of he are like this un, un, faceless force kind of thing. That stuff was really cool. The NASA guys um, are basically the aliens in an alien movie. Like yeah, they, yeah. They, they they the adults are treated like to be the real monsters of the movie. Right, yeah, that stuff was really good, uh, and you know, there's uh, the kids are great. Drew Barrymore's fantastic. I mean, all the kids are really good. Uh, D. Wallace is great. It it did kind of hurt my chest a little bit when I looked her up afterwards and realized she was the same age I am right now <laughs> when she made that movie, and she's like this frazzled mother of three or four or whatever. It just kind of it made me take perspective of my life a little bit. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, it just. It's not, you know, we, last when we were talking about Hook, Wes, you were talking about how when you think about Steven Spielberg, you think about kind of like the melodramatic schmaltzy stuff. And I was kind of surprised that E.T. was his highest rated movie because I can think of about five other ones off the top of my head that I would say are just straight up better movies than, the, than E.T. But when you put, the, put it next to Hook, which is his lowest rated movie, it kind of makes sense because I think E.T. is the pinnacle of his filmmaking style, the same filmmaking style he uses in Hook, where Hook, he kind of just kind of sprays it all over the place and is very unfocused. E.T., it's like condensed it down to its purest form. Yeah. Like E.T. is 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 100% made up of the Spielberg uh, childlike wonder schmaltz thing. And it's done with like laser focused accuracy, whereas Hook, it's just kind of like, eh, let's see what Robin Williams can do for a while. Yes, you know, it's, yeah. uh, and so that that makes a lot more sense now looking at these two side by side because there are, you know, there's some of that stuff in other movies, like there's some of that in in Jurassic Park. There's, well, there's not much of that in Schindler's List, but there's, you know, <laughs> you know, he, but you know, there, there there are other movies where he does it bits and pieces of it. Like you still get some of the adventure stuff. Um, that he does in Raiders of the Lost Ark and all that kind of stuff, but it's sort of like everything he's about, at least at this time when he was making movies, is just laser focused. Yeah, and so I I get why people like it. I get why kids would like it. You know, even though it wasn't really for me I, at the end when you know he that <laughs> I will say it doesn't make a ton of sense when he comes back from the dead, but uh, <laughs> but that whole thing where ET's like dying and stuff that's like really depressing to it watch is him like yeah. turning like gray and shit. It's almost as bad as do you ever see um. Uh, is it batteries not? What's the one with Johnny Five? Uh, that is uh, no, it's not short circuit. Short circuit. Short circuit. If you ever seen Short Circuit Two, where he gets the shit beat out of him by a bunch of uh, thugs and like they just smack, like he's like bleeding oil on the street after these like three (laughs) guys just beat him into a pulp. Yep. You you're that's gonna hurt your like. If I was a kid, I would have nightmares for a week watching that, and so I could see why you know. E.T. is kind of, I don't really, I'm kind of going all over the place here, but, uh, this it's is just, the hook version of the E.T. discussion. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's just to cut to sum it up. It's just it's just not for me. Like it's the yeah, it's just not my kind of thing. Do you talk? You know, talk. Me, human. Boy. Elliot. 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 I also grew up not liking the movie. Um, and I don't know... I don't know where the schism comes from because I I understand just comparing it to Hook. This is like a much better made movie. Like there are you know yeah. there are shots that are artistic in it. Like there are memorable shots. Like the 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 puppets look great. The way that it uh, the way that it sounds. Like the music is memorable here in a way that is not memorable in Hook. I I guarantee you the budget's like a third of what Hook was too. Yeah, let me actually I can actually look that up. But I think. The budget is ten million dollars. Hook was seventy yeah. million dollars. So, oh, so yeah, it's a, a, a yeah. Okay. The, I mean the 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 weird thing about it is that um, watching it this time, a I was kind of relieved to learn that it wasn't just that I was a child and I didn't understand what was happening, but the 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 ET gets sick journey really doesn't mm-hmm. come out of anywhere. Like it, it just kind of yeah. happens, and then it, right. it it's not explained what's really happening to him. Or, or the fact that they're like physically connected somehow. They yes. don't really, they don't really establish. I guess that happens at the point where he brings him home and he kind of like passes out. Well, I guess. Well, I, I think that it's, it's, it's odd, right? Because I, uh, you described it as like sort of schmaltzy Spielberg stuff, and I think that it is. But I think that the movie succeeds because it doesn't really touch on things. It leaves a lot of doors. Yeah. Uh, open and you you can walk through them and think about them. Um, sort of like the there's a line at the beginning where, uh, well even before that the the one thing I did learn from this rewatch is that I did not remember that the ETs were alien botanists, which is funny to me. Um, <laughs> the, the I don't remember I didn't remember that that you saw them at the beginning. Oh really? The whole bunch yeah, of them walking around? Yeah. I I assumed that you didn't see them until the end. So when the first shot is just a bunch of ETs walking around, I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. <laughs> just very like little chicken nugget men just hobbling back and forth looking at plants. <laughs> they do look like chicken nuggets. Um, the, there's Where a was dinner, that tie-in? There's a dinner scene uh, before at the very start of the movie where Elliot says something about like his father uh, is out in Vegas or something with a girlfriend. Mexico. Mexico, yeah, with a girlfriend. And it upsets his mother. And his older brother tells him that, like, when are you going to start thinking about how how other people feel? They kind of mm. tie that in with E.T., where E.T. is forcing Elliot to be empathetic. But I didn't get the sense that Elliot was a bad kid who this was teaching a lesson to in any sense right. of the manner. So it doesn't it doesn't stick with me as like Elliot's really growing and developing because I feel like Elliot's pretty consistent through the whole thing. He's a pretty good kid the whole way through. Mm-hmm. And it's it's surprising to me how little content there is to think about this movie. And I was looking at film criticism of it. And the criticism is actually more interesting because it's doing the, it's doing the very English lit thing where it's, it's, it's finding things that I don't think are really in the movie, but it's, it's telling me that they are, and they could be, if you thought about it this way, which, well, you, you know that this whole movie is just King Lear, right? Sure. <laughs> or it's, it's a Jesus. It's an analogy of Jesus Christ uh, returned from the, the cross. I, I, and I don't disagree with, like, I don't think there's a problem with doing film criticism like that, but I think that this movie 
is distinctly not about anything, which is maybe why I have a hard time watching it at this mm-hmm. point because it it doesn't really make me think about anything. It doesn't make me there's nothing in it that I'm like, oh, what an interesting way to take that. It's very much a vanilla schmaltzy but super effective at making you emotionally distraught movie. Like he yeah. Spielberg's very good at making you sad. And I think that that's yeah. really the main <laughs> the main thing uh with this movie and sort of the, in that in that way. Yeah, no, I um you know, I think he's 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 very good at setting up uh emotionally f- I don't want to say broken but fractured characters where it's like they are very realistic in that they are um day-to-day normal but there is something just under the surface that is kind of a, an emotional trigger for them whether it's you know uh well in this case it's the it's the father being gone um yeah. and which i liked which i like that they don't really spend a lot of time on that they just uh it's just sort of there, and it's clearly a a open wound for everybody. And I thought they I thought they they de- dealt with that stuff really well because you know you can get too too into that and it become too much of a plot point. And I think they handled it well. Yeah, and then and then at that point it becomes too much about ET as the surrogate father. Like it it it, it limits the lane of where the movie can go. I think on mm. some level when you start doing that, and I I think that it's a and I mean you don't need it because you don't need to you don't need more than he gave you. It's like it's a very as when you're as you're saying it's not really about anything really it's it it is f- pretty slim down as far as like there's not a lot of fat on it no, uh, no pretty much every scene has a purpose and they don't really dwell on stuff in in a way that uh makes it seem superfluous yeah i i think that the um it it's almost it's almost maybe the most ma- like maturely written script in a way because there's nothing super obvious about it so it's why i'm hesitant to say that it's not about anything because it it kind of is a it's about a bunch of stuff but it's not it's not interested in really looking at any of it particularly closely so Mm -hmm. it's it's a very tight little story that is cohesive everything makes sense all the scenes work together like that but at, at its at its core all of it is just kind of driving this very simple story. And I don't know if that that's like more of a personal problem than anything. I don't think it's really a criticism of the movie, but I just, I like the, the one of the better criticisms that I saw was that it's a, um, the movie is a sort of criticism of the, like the boredom of suburbia mm-hmm. on some level, because I was struck by how bland, the film looks everything is brown um they're yeah. in, they're in the desert which i guess makes sense but i i feel it's not a very visually exciting movie except for spielberg's use of light in a lot of scenes yeah, he's the, very the, good the use of light is, is really good yeah it, yeah but so i and i don't know if it, i don't it's not hammered home intent like intensely enough for me to think that he, spielberg actually has a theme about the suburbs being like this but i could read into that on some level i think about um you know the kids being bored all these endless sort of California neighborhoods of just the same house around a, in a circle mm. going around each other. And E.T. brings a little bit of spark of something into that and it changes everything. But I don't well, know. That's, that's another thing that they don't they don't really spend any time with it. You know, you don't you're not really seeing um, much outside of Elliot's perspective. Uh, and he's not spending a lot of time 
outside doing stuff. You know, it's just, I mean, even even in the Halloween sequence where everywhere the whole town is out and about, you're not really seeing them do anything because uh, he he and E.T. kind of split off fairly quickly and start doing their own thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's another, it's another thing where it's like, yeah, I, I could see them, I could see that being part of the w- intent if they had spent a little more time, but is the fact that they didn't spend that much time on it opening that door, like you said, to, to kind of explore it on your own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's difficult. Are, are, do you? I guess am I alone on that, or do you do you think that it's similarly? Do you find it problematic on the way that I do, or makes it difficult to watch, or why, if it has any impact at all? I don't know if I if I don't know if I would say it makes it problematic, because a lot of that stuff does seem. Yeah, it, because it's not saying anything specific, a lot of that stuff seems kind of uh, um, um, superfluous, is, is, not to use that word again, but uh, like spending spending any time with that stuff would make the movie more about one of those things Yeah, when it's really only about the relationship of Elliot and E.T. So as long as that's the through line, then you know you don't really need too much of the other stuff to make it work. Um, so I wouldn't say it's problematic. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't, I didn't see that as an issue for me. Okay. So I guess, um, what is, did you, did this watch through of anything sort of spur your understanding of why you didn't particularly like it? Um, you know, I don't, I don't really like the ET design. (laughs) Oh really? Interesting. Yeah, I don't know because I, I, just... I, I find the ET to be um, uh, the, the a lot was dependent on ET, and I think they made him a good mix of being creepy but also adorable at the same time. Yeah. Um, because I, I think if I think if the the, the design of ET is wrong, I think the whole movie kind of goes down the drain. They spent almost two million dollars on his costume, um, and. I don't know. I, I he's he's alien and freaky looking, but at the same time, just the way he walks, like when they're all walking around in the very opening and sort of picking flowers and stuff like that, it's mm-hmm. there is a innocence to them at the same time uh, that they are super freaky and everything like that. So, what, what don't you like about them? I I think I think it's just it. He almost feels a little bit to me like they they did spend so much time designing him that all of the designs just sort of like ended up being homogenized into like a brown blob. Yeah. Um like when his when his neck goes a little bit longer, he starts to he starts to look a little bit more interesting, but just I don't know, he just seems like just sort of like a a a a, a hobbling brown blob to me that didn't <laughs> yeah. from from like well, I don't know. I guess I guess as the kids interact with him more, he becomes more like sort of cuddly to an extent. Yeah. But yeah, I guess it's it's another one of those things where I'm I'm, I'm surprised that it became as iconic as it did because it, it just sort of feels underwhelming to me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's not to say that's why I don't like the movie. It's just I I don't know. I I think it's I think maybe it maybe it is because I think the the part that that's uh 
was tr- uh, tough for me was finding myself um, empathizing about E.T. the way that everybody in the movie does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I you know what? You know what it is? Okay. I think, thinking back what we were just talking about, I think because the movie is pretty much only about Elliot's relationship to E.T., that's where it loses me. I think I would have I I don't think it's bad that it is that. I just think for me it's more interesting if there's more going on. Yes. Yeah. Like I I I think it's a it's a kids movie. You know, oh, 100%. And, yes. And yeah. I don't but like a lot of the thing like a lot of the stuff I see the sort of summaries are like terrific for kids, but even adults will find themselves enjoying the misadventures of ET and it's like I don't I don't. I don't know if I agree with that. I, I mm. as an adult, I like the scene where he got drunk. That was fun. <laughs> that's the that ties into the uh, the death of the suburbs criticism too, which is how much um, sort of product placement stuff they consume in this movie. Yeah. Like it's it's very consumer heavy. Well, they uh, created an entirely new candy for the movie because uh, Eminem, Eminem had the Eminem had the foresight to not want to be involved in this. Biggest yeah, great, movie great of decision, the 1980s. Great decision on Eminem's part. They were concerned that E.T. would scare children, uh, so they didn't want their candy associated with it. So Reese's Pieces uh, picked up the slack and became iconic. And Reese's Pieces are superior to Eminem's anyway, so it's not a big deal. Um, I'm going to have to dis- disagree with you on that one, too. Oh, I really? I don't, I don't really like Reese's Pieces that much. Uh, yeah, I it, think because Reese's Peanut Butter Cup is the perfection of the peanut butter and chocolate mixture. Yes. And it's not the same shit that they put in. Reese, the Reese's Pieces is this, like, different kind of peanut butter that I think tastes like garbage. <laughs> it's super compacted. The thing, Reese's Pieces just don't melt. That's the advantage. You can eat that in that dry desert heat that E.T. is in. And you're not, <laughs> you know, you, when you're in that dry desert heat and the <laughs> only thing that you want at that moment when it's, like, 110 in the shade is a nice... Mouthful of Reese's Pieces. Yeah, uh, you don't you don't want to be just you know having a puddle of chocolate goo dripping through your fingers as you're trying to wash <laughs> it down with a glass of milk or something. But the um, the hell was I talking about? I think that the the the, the fact that it's a kids movie, I don't have a problem with that. But I I think that it's it's on a you sound like I sound like super haughty, but it's on like the intellectual level of a kids movie, which is something mm-hmm. that doesn't really hold my attention in a lot of ways. And I think that it's like, I, I actually don't think, I, I didn't think the movie dragged or anything. I think it's much better than Hook in that sense. Yeah. Um, it's just the fact that, I don't know, I, I feel like there's an emotional thing. Like Amy, uh, my wife really liked this movie and I could tell she was getting upset with me after we had watched it that I didn't like it as much mm-hmm. as her. And I don't know if it's one of those movies where it's, the nostalgia of it seems to drive a lot of things. Although everyone who's been writing in says that they also don't like E.T. So who who the hell was liking E.T.? I don't know. Michael Jackson, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'll tell you, I would watch Hook again before I would watch E.T. again. Like, that's a, tall, I would that's watch, a tall ask, I think, for me. Yeah. Well, no. I well, I would watch. I would watch parts of E.T. Maybe for like storytelling or filmmaking reasons. Um. Most of it does not involve the character VT. Now I'm thinking about it, but uh, but like if I was just gonna, if I had to throw on one of them, I would I would throw on Hook nine times out of ten, just because I mean, he, Dustin Hoffman alone, it will bring me the Hook will bring me back. So John Popper once said, <laughs> um, 
You know, you know, it's just like it, when I think about the two movies, I think about there's more stuff that I can think about in Hook being like, oh yeah, that's pretty fun. I would I would watch that again. Then then ET. What's your favorite ET scene? Um <clears throat> I like like I said, I like the scene where he gets drunk, but like just as a straight up movie movie scene probably the one where they talk about the dad i think that scene's really good yeah yeah d d wallace is really good at playing a frazzled mother yes yeah yeah all uh, all the actors in this are pretty good uh the kids yeah, are all great the kids yeah. are all good um I, I don't know if i had a i don't know if i really have a favorite scene i think that it's the i really like the um when he finds when Elliot's sort of camps out for the night in his lawn chair and he finds ET uh, mm-hmm. there, he comes out of so he sort of comes out of the uh, the little shed and he gives them back his Reese's pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's good on a level just because it balanced the sort of terror of what ET potentially could be with the the sort of childish nature of him, where he's brought all his candy back for him, mm-hmm. and that has a lot of uh, light stuff that I think is pretty good. But I will say. Um... When it started, I was thinking that uh, this was not the best use of John Williams, but by the end of it, I had really turned around on that because I think what they do in this is they really, um, they use John Williams to his most sharply uh, um, focused effect where instead of right from the beginning hitting you with the bombastic theme and then, and then you know, like, so every time E.T. shows up, you get the E.T. theme. He yep. plays it pretty reserved for most of the movie. Yep. And then as they start pushing closer to the end, you start getting a little bits and pieces of that E.T. theme. Because when it started, I couldn't even remember what the E.T. theme was. I, could, yes, I thought yeah. that there was, in my head, I was like, oh, maybe they don't have one. Did they write one for this? But then by the end, when you've got him flying in the bike and everything, and he's yeah. just like the whole orchestra's hitting it, it's like, oh yeah, that's a perfect, perfect use because a, uh, he's a yes. great, he's a great composer just for regular stuff. But when you need him to turn it into overdrive, he's gonna he's gonna nail it, and they and they they hold it back. That like <laughs> the music, the music in ET is like the shark and Jaws, basically, where they don't give it give you a lot of it, but then at the end they give you all of it, and it works very very well. Yeah, yeah, that's a good analogy. I, I think that it's a. I think the music is essential to selling the ending of the movie. Yeah. Um, but I think I, I think that the the music in ET is actually probably one of the most important music aspects uh, of the Williams films. Like, mm. like Jurassic Park is probably more memorable, and I can sing the songs from Jurassic Park more. But I I feel like the what's happening in those scenes can carry it a little bit more than the ET scenes do. And you really need that sort of orchestral swelling dramatic music at the end to really sell ET going back home and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. And I think it does a, it does a really good job of that. And it's, it's the same. It's, it builds through the movie, um, which is something I noticed. And so it's, it's almost overwhelming at the very end. And it ties into, as opposed to hook, this is much more of a, filmmaker's film in that the opening probably 10 or 15 minutes has no dialogue to it and the last mm-hmm. probably 10 to 15 minutes has very little dialogue that means anything uh as right. well right um it's a very visual movie yeah they they do a great job uh right from the get-go um 
you know, I think my favorite part of this movie is is the uh, the scientist guys because the way that they handle them through it is is really really good. Like the uh, the way that they drive home almost incessantly the key thing at the beginning. Yeah. Um, I spent most of the movie not being able to remember if that was a digital edit that he did in 2002. Um, if you if you you know how in Spielberg re-released this in 2002 with like a bunch of digital edi- edits, and I wasn't sure which right. version HBO had. I watched it on HBO. HBO yeah. has the original version, uh, which okay. is good to know. But I Wh- I spent the whole time wondering: Are they supposed to have guns on their belt in the original? But no, they're just keys, I guess. No, the guns. The gun change comes at the end when they yeah with um, the cops with the shotguns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's quite. If if the keys were supposed to be guns, that's a pretty heavy change that he would have made, uh, because the keys are are uh, essential to figuring out like remembering those characters because they drive it home so hard at the beginning, and then you don't see those guys for the next like hour and a half. Yeah. And, but but the minute that you see them again, once you see the key thing, you know it works instantly. So they 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 drive it home. Almost too much, so they can not do anything with it for for a long time and have it still work when they bring it back. And that stuff that stuff was great. I was kind of I was kind of hoping that the guy with the key ring was going to be someone I recognized instead of just like, you know, off brand Eric Roberts. Sure. Uh, unless unless he was an actor from the time that was famous or something. But I feel like that kind of reveal you would you know. You would put like you know Albert Finney in the suit or something like that. You know. I, I feel. <laughs> I feel you're actually is is that. Is that the that's that NASA scientist's character the entire time? Yes. Yeah. How do how do you how do you know that from the keys? Uh, because at, towards the end, after they quarantine the house, they show him suiting up in the quarantine suit, and he's got the keys on his belt. Oh, okay. All right, that makes sense. See, I that makes that makes that character a little bit better for me. He doesn't totally rescue me because I, I think that character is the stupidest character in the entire movie. Yeah, uh, he doesn't really have much of a point to him. No, Ultimately. and he's he's purely a good guy. He's purely like I I was young and I believed in aliens, and now we need to send this alien home. Um, yeah, I think I think the uh, I think the last the last half an hour of the movie, while it works really well emotionally, I think the plot completely falls apart for okay. the most part. Not not completely falls apart, but it just doesn't it doesn't string it doesn't hold together like the way the way that they built it up. Because yeah, those guys when those guys come back. They they've been selling them as malevolent the entire movie, and then you finally get to see this guy, and he's like, "No, I mean, you know, I care about him too. I don't want him to die. I'm, I'm I, I like fu- I like fun friends." And I remember then, uh, being totally. I remember the government of this movie being much more malevolent than they actually are. Yeah, and then they swing back though, because like he comes off as a nice guy, but then once they escape with him, they're like pulling out guns on everybody and stuff. And yeah. I mean, I can maybe understand that's why he wanted to change the guns at the end. But uh, even still, it's like, why the, 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 the chase at the end seems a little weird if the government forces are not negative actors. You know? it's, very, it's, very, um, it's very cartoony. You know, it's like yeah. government agents running behind the bikes. Like, they just can't catch the kids on the bikes as they're running through. It is weird that they 
One of those kids needed to get shot. Well, I was thinking like the, the cops <laughs> left such an opening between the cruisers. I was expect that's like a perfect. It's the like the three hundred will trap the enemy in the narrow uh, cliff walls. Yes. And we'll, like they they are they e. only did that so they can line them up. <laughs> yeah, they only did that so they could just mow them down with shotguns. And I'm sure someone has done a sketch or something where it is the movie redone, except the kids all get lit up at the end by the cops. But <laughs> it's just the. It's it's the kids on the bike, and then it's a hard cut to the end of uh, Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the bike the bike upside down on the on the ground spinning, the wheels spinning in the breeze. Yeah. Um, as I said, Spielberg redid the movie in two thousand two. Uh, made some changes. He edited out the shotguns and he put walkie talkies in the people's hands. In two thousand eleven, he said that there's going to be no more digital enhancement enhancements or digital additions to anything I direct. When people ask me which E.T. they should look at, I always tell them to look at the original 1982 E.T. Didn't he go back and change it back, though? He In the edition that comes out now, you get both versions on the DVD. Oh, I thought he straight up went back and was like, no, I'm not going to do this, and just took everything back and just put the put the original back. Oh, I don't know. I was reading I was reading that. Uh, I could be wrong. Say? But... Uh, it was re- released... Oh, yeah. I, I mean, they released it as the double. They released it with the changes and then they pulled or maybe not pulled, but they re-released the DVD as the original version afterwards. So oh, okay. maybe they just don't sell it anymore, which might be the way that it was. But I, I remember seeing that you could get both versions. It's a it's a it's a weird one. It, I almost feel like it's Lucas getting too much of an influence on his friend Steven Spielberg on some yeah. level. Uh, I didn't remember that. But the ETs are actually in the Phantom Menace. Is that right? Yeah. Yep, they are okay. in the Galactic Senate. Yeah. Oh, oh that's, a, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I feel like that's a. Um, I feel like that's just maybe Sp- Steven Spielberg being a little bit too uh, meek with George Lucas, like kicks down his office door and is telling him about all these digital additions he's doing to his well, movies and stuff like that. When um, when did you say he did that? Was it two thousand one? Two thousand two was when ET was re-edited. Or okay, re- so re-changed. that's ninety-seven. That's right around the time they were probably shooting. Revenge of the Sith, right? Yep. And there is a rumor that Steven Spielberg actually directed se- uh, bits and pieces of the lightsaber fight at the end in the volcano. Okay. Uh, so he was probably you know neck deep, neck deep in Lucas territory at the time <laughs> when he was making those decisions. So <laughs> I I would chalk that up to like the filmmaking equivalent of getting like shit faced with your friend and doing something you regret. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other, the other nice, the other nice thing about having John Williams on this movie is, uh, that scene where E.T. has the stare down with Yoda, he throws in just a little flourish of the Yoda music from Empire Strikes Back. Oh, does he really? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Let's say, um, it's, it's cute or whatever on that, on that level. Um, I don't really have any, I don't have any issues with that or anything, but I guess that's a good description for them for the entire movie. It's cute or whatever on that level. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't know. I've, I've been trying, I watched this two nights ago. I've been trying to come up with how I feel about the movie Mm -hmm. and I don't think I've been able to, and I don't know, I don't know why. I, I feel like I should have a better reason for not being particularly enthralled by it. He's got DNA. Incredible. He's got DNA. Oh, he doesn't have four nucleotides like we do. He has six. I've got desynchronization of the two brainwave activities. What are they? One is innocent and there's a perimeter and we can't identify. E.T. The voice condition is stabilizing. His blood pressure is coming back up. E.T. E.T. 
Did you notice that? So I was wondering if uh, if this movie had some influence on Stephen King when he was writing it, because there's some stuff in this movie that specifically the idea of this uh, alien from another planet who is like an ambassador for good, who apparently and they don't really follow this up or explore this, but apparently adults can't see because the first half of the movie they. They they have it so adults literally can't see him. And Drew Barrymore actually says it out loud. And then for whatever reason, they don't do that anymore. And then later on when he's sick, everybody can see him. So I don't know if it was supposed to be literally adults can't see him or if it was supposed to be like metaphorically adults can't see him. But I was thinking that's sort of like that concept is sort of like the polar opposite of the it concept, which is... Yeah. The adults in this town can't see this alien malevolent force that's infecting the kids. Yep. Uh, yeah. So I could I could see Stephen King take Stephen King taking that and then you know perverting it. But what what do you think? Did did you catch that stuff about the adults not being able to see him? No. Well, I I caught the Drew Barrymore thing, but the only scene where I wondered about it was the one where I thought they were just playing it for comic effect, where he's walking around in the kitchen and the mother's putting yeah. away groceries. Yeah, there's that scene. There's also the scene where she looks into the closet, and I mean, they play it also for laughs that he's in there among the uh, the, the stuffed, stuffed animals. animals. Yeah. But then the first time when when they go out to uh, when they're all playing Dungeons and Dragons, and he goes out and he see he uh, he yells for everybody to come out and see what's in the the shed. She goes in and looks in the shed and says, "There's nothing in there." And then afterwards, he comes walking out. So I don't know was the imp- oh, yeah. implication that he was in there. She just couldn't see him. That's interesting. I I never thought about that because well, I, I guess the only thing it goes in conflict with is that the the at the beginning they are tracking the aliens, right? But they don't really ever see the aliens. They don't. They don't see. Yes, that's that's true. I would be interested if anybody could give us a straight read on that because I I mean, it might have just been an idea that they kind of played with and then kind of discarded after a while because it's not really a big part of the movie but no yeah and then it uh, i'm trying to think of the just the events is that he gets sick right and then that triggers it back uh, the other way yeah i i don't know i don't know um i'll have to think about it yeah but people should let us know if that's something that you actually read and if you if you saw that in the movie and you thought it was something that was actually uh supposed to be like an intentional sort of decision they were making it'd be interesting so let's talk about the um uh, the the worst part of the movie, I'll just go first here, I think, is the E.T.'s sickness feels yeah. um, totally like, as we were saying about Discovery, notes on a board. We just need to get him yes. to this point. Yep. And they do it, and you feel bad for him when he's sick and when he's dying, but then it all just kind of caps off in the very cliche, he's dead, no wait, he's alive, he's okay, he's going to be fine, let's get him out of here and bring him back to his ship. I have to say... One of my least favorite things that people do in stories, for some reason it's primarily sci-fi stories. They do it a lot on Doctor Who, 
and it really annoys me every time, is when people are saved by just the concept of love. Yeah, yeah. And that I don't, it really it really bugs me. And this was a big one where it's like, not only was it fucking dark, where they he's standing over E.T.'s corpse in a body <laughs> bag in a freezer. Yeah. Um, who he's clearly just dead. But then he's like, does he is he brought back by Elliot's love, or is he brought back because his family's coming, so his heart light starts glowing? Assuming it's the love part, it's just he's he's dead and very clearly dead. And then he's like, "Et, I love you," and then he comes back. Well, did and he's totally fine. Even before that, did Et break the connection between him and Elliot, and that is what killed him? I don't remember. Because Elliot gets better at that yes, point, yeah. you know? So my understanding is that E.T. broke whatever connection was between them. Mm-hmm. Elliot improves, but that still doesn't explain why E.T. is alive. And if I'm going by what the dialogue says, it seems to be just the fact that other aliens are coming to get him, and that revives yeah, him. I guess. And I mean, he goes from, like, again, dead. He is a corpse. <laughs> to, like, totally fine. <laughs> Yes. In about in about a second and a half. Being very happy. It's the happiest E.T. is in the whole movie because E.T. he keeps seeing E.T. phone home, E.T. phone home. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, that's the only... It, it's weird because the movie, that's the sort of the, the turning point of the movie. It happens very quickly and I feel it's handled pretty clunkily. Um, even down to the... The government is like the most inept government in the in the world where Elliot can just walk down the thing, the tube into the van that E.T. is in and drive off with him. Yep. Um, yeah, it's I mean, it's a kid's movie, so I don't really care about that. But it, that middle section always sticks out to me as the most problematic point of the entire thing. Yeah, it's it does like it, it does feel like a, uh, you know, we don't know how to end this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, because you know you have to obviously ET has to get back to his family and it has to be dramatic and 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 spectacular but like what's the it really it really is the only conflict in the movie right aside from hiding ET hiding yeah. ET yeah which on some level you don't even necessarily need to do no because if, it goes well every single time he's revealed to people yeah and again if adults can't see him then who cares yeah yeah um so yeah, it's the only it's the only real conflict in the movie is is figuring out how to get him home. Uh, I mean, yeah. Well, aside from aside from the part where where he gets sick, figuring out how to get him home is the only conflict in the movie. But then the only other conflict in the movie is the fact that he's sick and that is, these guys are coming. It, that that everything that happens at the end feels f- kind of tacked on a little bit. Is ET slowly dying the entire movie, or does he get pneumonia from staying out at night trying to phone home? <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I no, I do know. He is slowly dying, I think. Okay. Because they link his energy bar basically to the <laughs> that plot that potted flower plant. Oh, okay. And so every now and then they cut back to it and it starts to like wilt and stuff. Unless yep. I'm thinking unless the only time they do that is right before they find him out in the serial killer like he's been dumped off the side of a road like a serial, <laughs> yeah. serial killer. What? Yeah. Why? Why was ET down by the river like that? I don't know. I don't know why he got up and left. You know. Why he didn't stay with his phone machine? Yeah. You know, like don't <laughs> don't go jogging at night at, if you're a human or an ET. I guess because you're gonna yeah. get <laughs> you're gonna get serial killed. Yeah. It's um. 
I don't I don't know. I I don't I don't have any problems with the the movie outside of that really. It's just a it's just an odd little movie that I think I I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what people say about it just because I don't know I don't know where people would actually stand on it. Maybe people seem more uh, similar to us. I will say just our last bit of going out. There was a canceled sequel to it. It was going to be called oh boy. It was going to be called ET2 Nocturnal Fears. It what? would have sh- it would have sh- shown Elliot and his friends getting kidnapped by evil aliens and follow their attempts to contact ET for help. Jesus. Talk Steven about Spiel- talk- Steven Spielberg and Matheson wrote a treatment for it. Ugh, talk about missing the the point. <laughs> <laughs> some evil aliens um and et is also known for being one of the worst video games of all time it came out yes. on the atari 2600 uh it's, very famously yeah very famously it's a terrible movie where you, you try to avoid et falling into pits i guess and you stretch his neck out and try to fly out of him or something did you ever see that documentary that they made about it about that game no yeah well it's it's about the atari system as a whole and the downfall of it but yep. it does focus very heavily on that game because the the driving thing is that uh, you know the 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 myth that there's a landfill somewhere that's filled completely with unsold Those copies games. of that game. Yeah, so yeah. he it, the guy's trying to find that landfill, and they that's sort of the framing device for telling the story of of, uh, of the Atari company. Huh, and when they finally get, it's a good it's good it's a good watch. When they finally get to the ET game, it's actually really interesting because it's like basically Atari was. Uh, bulletproof at at this point, like everything they were making was was good and was selling. And there was this one guy in particular who was making all these great games, and he basically says like, "Yeah, you know, I thought I could do anything." And so they came to me with this ET thing, and I had like five days to turn it around. Yeah. And so he crafted this game that, when you hear him talk about it, it sounds like a pretty good game. He's it's <laughs> to, <laughs> when you hear, he talks about it as though it was kind of misunderstood in that it was. For for as a game, it's not bad, but as an ET game, it's terrible. That kind of thing. Sure. Um, and then you know, of course, he's like, uh, and you know, Steven Spielberg had to sign off on it, so really, he's the one that that made this happen. <laughs> and he went. This guy went from being like the most successful game developer at Atari to being fired after ET in like 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 a year, like half a year, some some very short period of time. He got kicked to the road pretty quick. Yeah, I just I don't rem. I mean. It was, it's the Atari 2600. Like how the games aren't all that different from each other. You know, they're just like right. pixel, pixel yeah. stuff on a screen. So it's, I, I I've never played it. I've seen ET played. I think, I don't know. It's, you know, it, it just feels like the gulf between a great Atari game and a terrible Atari game is much more narrow than it would be today. Where yeah. if a game came out that was so bad, but I'd be interested to see. I'll have to get a, a let's play of me playing ET on the, on the channel. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's see here. Do we have anything else we want to talk about? I, I I feel like we I don't think we gave it short shrift or anything, but it's been a it's been an interesting. Spielberg's been the the weirdest uh, like topic for this podcast mm. so far to me. Both of the the movies are very similar to each other, but very different, and neither of them were very interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. It's um this this whole experiment has been fairly interesting seeing. The highs and lows of 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 different different people, especially from the filmmaker. Well, I guess all around because I was the Patrick Stewart one. I feel like was a little bit of a non-starter just because his two movies were kind of. He, he doesn't really have a lot of starring roles. No, he's a, he's a second he's a second role. So his movies aren't really focused on him. 
What was the what was the other one? It was the Christmas one, and what was the other one? Logan. Logan. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that 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 one not notwithstanding, the other three that we've done so far have been pretty interesting in terms of looking at the highest and the lowest because Ridley Scott, I think, probably is the only one that f- has two polar different opposite movies. kind yeah. of movies. Yeah. Whereas Tom Cruise, very very similar. Steven Spielberg, very very similar. Yeah. Um, and it's basically if if you really think about it, Cruise and Spielberg are, have a bad a bad and good version of the same movie, essentially. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's I wonder how frequent that'll happen. Where it's like it, maybe I don't know if that's the it's not the case for well maybe Spielberg is it's trying to like recapture that magic that you had before and you just come out with a, a terrible version of it. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, because Cruise is the other way, right? Risky Business came out. No, it's the same for Cruise. Risky yeah, Business same. came out first, and then Cocktail came out second. Yep. Huh. I wonder if that'll be a, a theme that we've got going on here. And, but, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart was just trying to recapture the magic of Christmas Eve and ended up with Logan, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Patrick Stewart might be the weirdest one. That, that'll, that kicked us off from the Star Trek stuff, but it'll be more different going forward. But I guess that's a uh, – we'll wrap it up here, and we could talk about how the show will change. So we've decided to do a uh, what we'll call the B-roll episode where yep. uh, we will take a movie that we decide to do from uh, the topic that we're talking about. So for this month, we'll be doing uh, a Steven Spielberg movie. And I think, have we settled on that, Clay? I think we've settled on it, right? Well, we didn't want to go too far back uh, and, you know, kind of kind of catch up quickly. So I was thinking, the, the idea behind it is uh, to do lesser known great movies by the people that we're covering because you know there's the best and there's the worst but there's always the stuff somewhere in the middle that people kind of forget about that i've that there are usually movies that i really would like to talk about yeah and um, i see it as, i see it as also maybe it's a i was even thinking of maybe it's a famous movie but it's not captured by the high and the low of that director yeah you know it work too you know what i mean and and to kind of catch up quickly i was thinking we could do minority report uh because minority report is a spielberg movie it has tom cruise in it and it's it's a pretty, it's a fairly overlooked Spielberg movie, I think, and it's from. What I never I remember, think of it as a Spielberg movie. Which yeah, is interesting. From what I remember, it's pretty good, and it's yep. especially it's over ten years old now. I think, right? Or is it about yeah, ten I, years old? Uh, I think so. I can look it up actually. I think if it's you a little just... over ten years old, and I think it has a very. It's um, Spielberg does two thousand. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, Spielberg didn't do a lot or hasn't done a lot of straight up futurist sci-fi stuff. The only other one that I can think of off the top of my head and correct me if I'm missing one is AI. And that one even doesn't really count. Cause that's sort of like a, you know, that's the, the Kubrick Kubrick one. Yep. Um, and I think looking back at minority Report will be interesting cause there's a lot of stuff in there that has more or less come true. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sure. Um, maybe not replacing eyeballs to avoid advertising or, or location or whatever, but there's a lot of stuff in there that is, it was kind of on the mark. And yep. um, and as his only real straight up, you know, hard sci-fi movie in the classic sense of the sci-fi movie, I think it'll be interesting to look at. War of the Worlds would be the only exception. Oh, yeah, um, that's true. Also, Tom Cruise. So I guess we could do that one as well, but I don't yeah, want to do that I, one because I don't rather, like that movie. Minority Report, I prefer to War of the Worlds, um, yeah. I think. So that, that'll be the, the thing. We'll Even do that, that, though. Even War of the Worlds isn't really, is, is not the same kind of sci-fi movie. It's more like Jurassic Park sci-fi. Where, yes. Because yes. it's basically 
modern times, but there's a sci-fi element. Whereas Minority Report is straight up like uh, speculative fiction. Right, because it's War of the Worlds is sci-fi from like 1930, right? Yes. So it's like you you've kind of passed it in a sense, and it seems yeah. it seems uh, more fantasy almost at that point. Right. Um. So that'll be the the thing. We'll do it after we do the high and the low, or the low and the high, whatever order we're in, and then we'll do the B-roll episode, which will just be come out uh, on the feed and everything as normal. And uh, that'll be it. It'll be a good way to sort of capture the stuff that maybe falls through the cracks a little bit, and it'll give us a um maybe a tiebreaker or something, or something in the Spielberg sense where neither of those movies really impressed us. So maybe there'll be something else that we can talk about uh, from another movie. Mm. Uh, I think that's it. So you guys can check out all the social media links. They'll be in the podcast description and the video description. You go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you want to support the show there, uh, you get extra podcasts and you get to vote on what the topics are that we're going to talk about. And then I think that's pretty much it. Uh, what do we do? We want to wrap up. Do we have a non sequitur? I don't know if I have one off the top of my head or if you had anything you wanted to talk about before we say goodbye. Uh, not really. I plugged it on Deep Space Nine, but uh, I have a new book coming out on Friday from Waxwork Comics called Poser. Uh, and each issue comes with a seven inch vinyl album of original music written for the book as like a soundtrack. It's like a horror thing going for like a 70s Italian horror kind of vibe. So if that's your thing, it's comes out March 9th and you can get it at waxworkcomics.com. And John Williams was the composer on the LP for that one, right? <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> Not to say that the music is bad because it's very cool and it goes with the book, but you know, that would be a get as they would say. Is it atmospheric music with the the book or is it uh like sort of radio songs? No, it's uh, it's atmospheric kind of. Um, it's it's like it's like a it's like a soundtrack because Waxwork does. They specialize in doing LP vinyl pressings of old horror movie soundtracks. Oh, I so see. with their comics, they wanted to continue their you know their bread and butter, so to speak, and so they've written and recorded soundtrack music for. Yeah, I guess that's the best way to describe it. So it's like uh, the music for Poser is kind of like. Uh, punk music meets John Carpenter. So it's like there's a lot of fast guitars, but then it kind of segues into some like moody synthesizer stuff. It's it's really cool. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you guys can check that out. Uh, do I have a non sequitur? I don't, I don't know if I do. I, I should always pre-plan these things, I suppose. Uh, we talked about the Oscars in the last one. No, I don't think so. I think we'll just call it a day. I won't uh, hem and haw here anymore. So E.T., we've done it. We've watched it. Uh, it's on HBO if you guys want to catch up with it. Otherwise, I know some people bought the DVD, the 4K DVD. I don't know if that brings a, a new appreciation of the film or anything like that. Uh, Go listen to Turn On Your Heart Light by Neil Diamond. It's a lovely song. <laughs> that's right. And then uh, go watch the Will Ferrell Neil Diamond sketch on SNL, which is always one of my favorites. Um, that's it. All right, guys. Thanks very much for listening. We will see you next time. We'll come out with uh, the B-roll, which will be Minority Reports, and then we'll announce who the next person that we're going to be covering is. So until then, have a good one.